Welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with trendsetters who are leading innovation in public safety and expert advice on growing your own post-law enforcement business. And now, your host, Adam Wills. Hey, welcome to episode 36 of the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. If you're a copreneur and you read the title of this episode, you might be hating on me at the moment. But please do stick with me while we unpack this concept. Drew Aversa is my guest on the show today. He is a former San Jose firefighter who transitioned into full-time entrepreneurship after a devastating injury that was inflicted during a training incident. Drew is now a business consultant, executive coach, keynote speaker, and corporate trainer for his self-titled coaching business. Drew and I were having a conversation one day. I pointed out to him that I don't think I've ever met a firefighter that didn't have a side hustle. And I wondered why it was that firefighters are so well primed for entrepreneurship, yet cops seem to have a mental barricade about it. Our conversation after that was so good that we decided to jump on and record a podcast to discuss it further. Now, if you're still hating on me for the presumptive title of this episode, listen in on our conversation because I am trying to create a paradigm shift within law enforcement, and I hope that you too will join me in that. Here we go. Welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast today. If you're watching on YouTube, you probably are noticing that I'm in a different location today. For those of you that are just listening, what you're missing is behind me a a nice stone fireplace and sun glistening off of the mountaintops um, as I decided to take a bit of a mountain retreat to finish working on some courses uh, for Leo to CEO and just kind of escape the everyday grind of being at home and day-to-day life. So today, so we're podcasting remotely from up here in the the mountain retreat. And uh, I'm with somebody else today who is also podcasting remotely today with me from Vietnam, 1030 at night, his time. Drew Aversa, welcome to the show. It's good to have you on. Adam, great to be on here with you, brother. Thank you for the invite. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have you. So we kind of connected initially via LinkedIn and then had a chat a couple weeks ago, uh, which I really enjoyed, brother. And I, I think you and I could talk all day long, but we got into a discussion that I kind of want to pick up on right from where we left off in this discussion. And that was talking about the difference between law enforcement entrepreneurs or entrepreneurship and firefighters and entrepreneurship. And, and there's this weird chasm, I think, of mindset that exists between those two professions, because obviously there's so much overlap in public safety. I mean, we're all public safety, right? We're we're out there trying to serve the same people and accomplish the same mission. Yet it seems like firefighters just innately understand the concept of entrepreneurship. I've never met a firefighter that didn't have some sort of a side hustle or idea to start a business. And yet on the other side of that, in law enforcement, this is a paradigm shift I want to change. Cops just kind of like, they don't even think about entrepreneurship or 
they somehow believe in their inner soul that they can't do anything different than law enforcement or something that directly relates to law enforcement. And so entrepreneurship just isn't as obvious to cops. So let's pick up where I left off from there. What are, what are your thoughts on Why do you think that uh, exists? Why, why the difference? Well, I'd, I'd say, I mean, there's a lot that you just shared, right? You know, at one is, you know, the differences between law enforcement and firefighters, the, I think, lack of unity, right? When we look at first responders, we're all out there together, you know, serving and helping and risking our lives. And if you look at the veteran community, it's very different, right? It doesn't matter if you're a chef in the military or you're a like special forces, you know, ninja warrior, badass Navy SEAL, right? Like it doesn't matter. You're still a veteran at the end of the day. And unfortunately, right. you know, I wrote an article that was published on law enforcement today. And I said, you know, basically the, the biggest issue of first responders are ourselves. We're not working together. So when you look at how things are structurally set up with the differences in our unions, the way things are lobbied, cops bargain for one thing and then the firefighters and then everybody's aligned. And then next thing at the 11th hour, somebody strikes a better deal, you know, with the labor management process. We've all been there. I think we all know how those things can go. So then it can become more separated as opposed to what you and I are talking about today is how do we work together, right? How do we leverage the shared bond of service and then separating from service to be successful? So I I would say, you know, one is understanding that there is life after career transition, right? Career change. And to, to set up for success, we'll talk about that more, you know, at the end. But when you look at the numbers, right, when we look at the fire service in general, I'm, you know, second generation firefighter after I was, you know, medically retired, so no longer in the fire service. But my plan was to stay in for 30 years. I never thought that would end so soon on my journey. And when we look at the fire service of years before, you know, when my dad uh, was in, you know, and, and you look at the guys that were before him hearing those stories and seeing those stories, seeing the evolution of the fire service when I was a young kid, you know, going to the firehouse and seeing, you know, the old timers, you know, and the way things were, the people had to have a trades background. So because the fire service, you're dealing with building construction. If you don't know the building and back in the day when there were a lot more fires, because now everything's sprinklered. So there are less fires nowadays, depending on the city and the the area in which people work. So back in those days, people had a really strong trades background. They were carpenters, they were craftsmen, and they they had some sort of hands-on skill because it was a labor job, right? Hence labor union. So it was a labor job where you had to have some sort of skill to bring in there. And, and for my, you know, my stepfather's side, they had a, a welding business, you know, so he knew metal, he knew the trades, he knew that. So back in those days, you know, there were a lot more people that were more hands-on and then they would have different businesses, building houses, running the welding shop like my stepdad. You know, I saw saw him, you know, throughout my youth do the two jobs, right? So it was everything that I knew was, okay, you, you you can do this and this. It doesn't have to be limited to, I just do X. It's, I can do this and do this. And then from there, from there, you're also controlling... Uh, your future in a sense, right? Because if something happens where you're injured on the job or something happens like that, you have a backup plan. And I think that's the most important thing about entrepreneurship is building that pathway. I wish I had done it sooner, you know, in, in my years, because it really sets you up for success as opposed to 
going to this big wide open ocean and not knowing where to swim and maybe not having a life raft around you when career, you know, changes suddenly, whether it's an injury, illness, you know, disability or, you know, the final day of retirement, right? Then, then what, where do you go? So I think there's a study out that I saw Adam in, and it's by the Chicago or the state of Illinois pension system, the state of Illinois pension system. And it was kind of the first of its kind. I've been tracking this for a long time because I advocate a lot for first responders and to get things more on par with our veteran community, you know, things like a GI bill we don't have. So you get injured, what do you get? You get student loan debt, right? And unless your state has some voucher system for job retraining, which California took away. Uh, so when you have lived that, like I have, and other brothers and sisters have, you understand it's very difficult. And when you're privileged still being on the job or in wearing the badge and having the union and all these other things, people don't understand what it's really like until you really go through it. And then you have to understand what it's really like. So I, I think this data was interesting because it shared the breakdown that actually a lot of law enforcement officers are in fulfilling careers after retirement. Uh, same with firefighters. Now, the question that you know I have is how many of these people are medically retired? What's the average age at which they transition, right? You know, because a lot of these statistics that we hear are the textbook, you know, 25 to 30 years of service, full pension, and that. We're not hearing the stories of what happens when, you know, shit goes sideways and game over. And now you've got a house, you've got a mortgage payment, you still have 20, 30 years to work with a bad back, a bad hip, a bad whatever, you know, or a challenge, you know, or PTS, you know, we know all the mental health stuff out there. So how, how are people transitioning successfully? And I think that's, uh, that's a huge uh, room for policymakers to look at in this country. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, the, the concept of, of military, like you said, I mean, it doesn't matter what branch of the service you came from, what your MOS is, everybody's a veteran, right? And they all receive kind of the same treatment, but when it comes to our public safety services, it's really not that way. And I, I, I guess I think one of the biggest differences and why we see this mindset difference between firefighters and cops, you kind of pointed out or you alluded to it at least that the job itself in the fire services really creates a better opportunity for people to have a side hustle, right? That just the, the nature of the type of shift work that you guys do and the way that your, your schedules go, it really is more conducive to having a side hustle business than law enforcement is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you, when you look at the shift work, right, you know, firefighters have an ABC shift in most places. So then, you know, there's a 24 hour on 24 hour off cycle, or a 48 hour on you know, 96 hours off, depending, you know, there's all these different shift cycles, but firefighters do work 56 hours. That's the one thing I want to put out there for the public. If they're listening is that we do work 56 hours. So we're working 16 hours more than the average, you know, 40 hour work week, because we're sleeping there. And at two in the morning, if the house is on fire, somebody's having a cardiac arrest. We're also trained as paramedics, you know, like I was. So at two in the morning, we get up and go three in the morning, whatever time it is, we're there 24 seven. So there's that in a busy fire station where I worked that you're going nonstop at night. So it's not like you're sleeping. I just want to put that out there because I think, you know, nowadays things are so yeah. polarized and people don't know the facts or they hear things that, oh, the firefighters are sleeping. No, 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 no. 
depends on the city you work for, the agency you work for. And I'm bald now because I didn't have a lot of sleep and there's a thing called stress yeah. that catches up. So, so let's move on. From, yeah, you know, we'll move on from that. But the shift work, yes, you're spot on because the shift work gives you time to have downtime and to be home more versus law enforcement, which are right. the 40 the hour work weeks or the detective job, those sort of positions that are typical 40 hour work week, right? And then I remember my ambulance days, my ambulance days, I would equate to a law enforcement schedule in, in that capacity of, you know, you're working the three fours or the four tens, and you're working that, that law enforcement type thing. And you beat, you know, when you come home and, and let's put in traffic on top of stress, right? So not only are you going to work for 10 to 12 hours, you're checking out everything, you're making sure your rig, your equipment is set up. I'm sure, you know, I was never a police officer, but I'm sure it's the same way. You have to make sure the gun is right and all the, the stuff is ready. You're logged into the computer, you're morning briefing, you know, making sure everything's good. What's going on for the day? Every day, right? So you, you have to be prepared in our jobs to be safe. And then from there, that part of work, and then you try to come home in a commute in the big city. If you're living in a, a city area or you decided to live you know, outside more to buy a bigger home, like a lot of our brothers and sisters want a better quality of life for the kids. So then you're driving two hours from your job that pays good in the city. So you're tired. And, and then from there, what room and capacity do you have in your life to allow for something different, especially if you are a parent and there's uh, there's a huge value in being home with your children. And I know a lot of our people are parents. So how do you have a second calling or a entrepreneurial venture that makes room with where you're at in life too, with all the, all the moving pieces that are going on? And I'd say the fire right. service is a lot easier because you have a full day off or you have four consecutive days off to do something and to plan something. And I know firefighters that are working in real estate right now and they make their appointments in the downtime, you know, even if they're at the firehouse, I'm sure there's some gray area on, uh, on that. I'm, I know some people don't like seeing that and other people turn a blind eye to it. So there's uh, challenges all around, right? Right. Hey, and let's be, let's be honest just for a minute on that shift work, you guys aren't just sleeping. You're playing video games most of the time. If, if we're, if we're being honest. With I'm not a video right? gamer, but maybe I'm sure other guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, I was studying and cleaning and yeah. Oh uh, yeah, sure. I was, sure. I was one of the no. chefs, so <laughs> I cooked a lot that way. Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah. And when you work at a double house, you definitely want to cook because that gets you out of writing two uh, medical reports. At least, you know, when you're, when you're writing yeah. 10 to 15 <laughs> medical reports in a day, Cooking gets you out of maybe two, not a lot, but at least there you get you to hang back and cook for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the other things that you kind of started to to venture off into or allude to there is that it's a little bit different between law enforcement and fire where, I mean, I'm sure, I'm assuming, I don't know this, okay? I'm assuming that as a firefighter, you still maybe need to go through some sort of check and balance request sort of system to say, hey, you know what, I want to have outside employment or start a business. And and that same is true for law enforcement. I feel like maybe just from my own experience and for what I, what I hear from other guys, it's just uh, most law enforcement agencies are really, really, really strict about that. They're really strict about requiring that you declare if you're doing outside employment or you have a business on the side and wanting to know what the details are of it. And very often, 
the response that some of these these guys are getting is, oh, well, there's a there's a conflict of interest or there's an ethics issue or whatever it may be. And part of that is because most cops, if they go into entrepreneurship at all, usually they're doing things that are very much related to law enforcement. And so I think that creates kind of this mental barrier that guys on the job see this sort of thing and gals see this on the, this sort of thing happening. And they're like, well, why am I even going to bother asking? Or they just try to do, do it under the radar so that they can get away with, with it. And because they just, they'd rather not ask and be rejected or told no. And so they do it under the radar, but that really stifles their ability to actually do what they need to do with their business in order to grow it because they feel like they can't talk about it. So it's just kind of a unique challenge. Yeah. I I think there are a lot of things that one, right? You obviously want to be transparent in what you're doing. Don't hide it. Eventually, we all know, right? I think cops know better than anybody. You know, if you try to hide something, it's going to come back and bite you in the you know what. So don't hide it. Be transparent about what you're doing and talk to your leadership and say, hey, I'm really passionate about doing this. This is what I'd like to do. This is where I'm at. Are there any conflicts? This and that. And, and regardless, whether, you know, when I was a Fortune 500 company, we had conflict of interest rules. And if there was a conflict of interest, you know, potentially, then you had to run it through the legal department and you had to run it through those channels. So I guess don't feel like it's it's like your admin or your, or your leadership is cracking the whip on you, right? You understand that this is universal in Fortune 500 companies and other companies, other industries. So there's a responsibility from those that are, are faced with decision making and, and those that would also bear the brunt of if what you're doing is is a conflict or is seen in the negative light uh, nowadays. I mean, we've seen with the law enforcement, right? In, in was it Texas where the police officer wore the coronavirus t-shirt, you know, and, and that was on oh, public yeah. Facebook. And then that, that officer was chosen to be the, the PIO and the spokesperson. Not a good thing. Like, you, we all need to do our part nowadays. And, you know, one, don't put stupid things out there that you know are just not sensitive. That's the emotional intelligence piece, right? So get some coaching on that, work on that. And even if you're frustrated and stressed, which it's a very stressful time right now, especially in law enforcement, make sure, you know, there's an outlet, right? Coaching, therapy, those sort of things. And check your social media presence, check those sort of things and make sure that you're not presenting unneeded drama unneeded risk because at the end of the day that kind of stuff is going to be drama for you it's going to be drama for your family you you know you're going to be in the newspaper and then your family's going to be seen as a negative people your kids are going to get picked on at school you know for oh your dad's blah 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 racist or whatever right in that situation using just one situation right in in recent that people can relate to so that's why this this is very important to get that and then from a leadership standpoint support your people because look at the end of the day my injury is living proof that nothing is permanent in this profession, that it's an odds game. And we all know that we've seen people die from cancer. We've seen people shot. We've seen people, you know, injuries, different things like that. It's an odds game to make it to the 30 years. So if you are one of the people who are lucky enough to make it to the 30 years, congratulations. Now with that, take that privilege, take that beauty of the 30 years and understand that there are people who may never make it to 30 years. So what can you do to support them to be successful because the system I'm telling you will not be there for you. And it's not your friend. If you get injured or things happen, it's designed to be adversarial. That's the way lawyers are in America with the cities and the counties and work comp. 
So it is what it is. So you need to build your future at the same time as understanding the landscape. And then lastly, to your point, with workers comp, I will touch on this is, you know, people do have businesses, depending on the state you're in, you need to understand that sometimes what the defense attorney will do is try to hang you up and try to, you know, say you're working this side job and you're, you know, blah, 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 you're not really hurt. Now, understand there's a difference between being medically retired or disabled from the occupation of a police officer or a firefighter than being an office worker in, in an insurance industry. You have a state farm franchise you're running, right? That's totally different than being a police officer and having to get down on the ground and, and put somebody in a hold and tweak your back around and your neck. This is a totally different thing. But what they can do is they can try to hang you up on some technicality for work comp. So all of these things, what we're sharing now is how do you protect yourself? How do you make sure that all the, the I's are dotted, the T's across, and you can move your life forward, but also risk management, right? So I think police officers are very good with risk management. So do your own risk management and your own due diligence just to make sure you know nothing stupid happens because it it's just such unneeded time and it can be costly too if you get caught up yeah. with the wrong work comp situation and the wrong thing. And, and, you know, you're doing everything to the best of your ability, but you're not a lawyer. You don't know all these little technical in and out details. So that's why it's good to run it through uh, people and, you know, run it by lawyers that get paid and they, they really know the law on that. They're lawyers. If you're trying to grow your business, you're likely being pressured by the five letter S word scale. You've probably heard people tell you that you need to scale or die, grow or flounder. While that may be the case for your business overall, I want to caution you. The biggest mistake I see business owners make when trying to scale their business is that they try to scale everything. Like a kid who just can't help themselves but eat the entire bag of Skittles in one sitting, they sign up for a Zapier account and start creating automations to handle every minutia of their business. But there are certain things you just shouldn't scale. My marketing strategy and web development agency, StoryWeb Creative, has experienced tremendous growth over the last couple years. We've added several new team members and dozens upon dozens of new clients. The one thing I have been intent to not scale is my client interaction. Every new client receives a personal welcome video and a phone call at least once every quarter to see how they're doing. I also employ this same concept within the Leota CEO community where every new member receives a personalized welcome video from me. So why don't I just create a single generic welcome video? People want to be won over. They want a personal experience. If you give them that, you create a trusting relationship and subsequently a raving fan and customer for life. Now, Drew, I want to argue one thing with you uh, that you just said. Well, maybe not argue. We'll just debate. How's Let's that? Let's go. Uh, <laughs> Put the boxing gloves so, on. Cop firefighter. Let's go. Yeah, let's. Oh, you know, actually, I used to box when I was a cop. I used to box, and we used to do every year. This you just took me down a rabbit trail, brother. Come on now, you just got me so distracted. Hey, you have anyway, boxing gloves. Um, I'm the firefighter that meditates. Uh, okay, so like, I mean, you're gonna okay. win. All right, I'm not trying so to. I'm not every, trying to. I'm not trying uh, to fight. All right. <laughs> Every year we used to do a, a guns and hoses tournament and it was literally cops versus firefighters in every match. 
And so, I mean, it was a blast, man. And we did it for charity and raised, we'd raise funds. Um, it was a good time, but yeah, anyway, so we'll put on the boxing gloves here. Uh, you mentioned that for those that are lucky to make it to that 20 to 30 years, and I am becoming more and more convinced lately that that's actually not really lucky. And I'm not saying I want to see cops. I'm not talking about them dying in the line of duty or anything, obviously. Right. But most of the cops that I talk to and have encountered in my life and my career, but certainly as of late, as I've, I've really been talking to a lot of cops that have this, this burning desire to start their own businesses. A lot of them are miserable. A lot of them are miserable and they're just going, man, I just got two years left. I just got five years left and I just got to get this done because the system of retirement in our country has been set up, I believe, to keep you locked in to doing something that makes you miserable just for, just for the idea that you might be able to actually enjoy. Like, here's what I, how I put it the other day in a, a LinkedIn post. I said, what is the pot of gold that justifies you wasting the best years of your life doing something you dislike? or are unhappy doing just to just the, the idea that you might be able to enjoy the latter parts, parts of your life. And so I loved my law enforcement career. Okay. Let me just get that straight. I'm not saying that policing is miserable, but some, some of these guys, and I know a lot of it's because of the current state of things in our country, it's hard right now. And a lot of these guys that have been on the job for a long time, are, they're miserable and they're just waiting for that carrot that's been dangling in front of them. And they're not happy. And so I actually did a video on LinkedIn this morning where I talked just about this. And the overarching point that I made was that people will choose unhappiness. The average person will choose unhappiness over uncertainty because they're uncertain about what it looks like to leave and start their own business and whether that'll be successful or not. They will just choose unhappiness because they know what it is. They know what to expect. They know what the inputs and outcomes are going to be. Even if those inputs are far more stressful and the the outcomes are far less than what they could achieve if they stepped out into doing something that they actually had a passion about doing in that stage of their life. Well, I, I have some some data on this. If you you, you want you want to can we pull the boxing gloves off? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, all right, all right, all right. So, the human mind, right? The human mind is interesting because 60 to 80% of human thought depending on the study that you read 60 to 80% of human thought is negative. And then 80% of our thought gets recycled over and over again. So when you're in a stressful occupation, you're seeing the worst of society. And then thank you, Facebook, for continuously putting Facebook lives of people being murdered in public and things that just should not be, you know, there, right? Or a two second clip of an officer instead of the 20 minute body cam footage. And then the public goes outrage and they don't know the full facts. You know, and it's just a two second gotcha clip, right? You know, that's what's going on in our society right now. So then it becomes very hard when your job is stressful. It's a negative environment in a sense. The admin might be even negative because let's face it, you know, a lot of chiefs are appointed by mayors and by elected officials. So one of my books that I'm going to be writing soon is on incentives. When you look at the incentives, a lot of these incentives are all kind of wonky, right? So when you look at, at that, right? So if you're, if you're, if your admin can't really protect your back because their job relies, their incentive relies on taking care of the elected official who appointed them and then this and that, and then you're in a stressful occupation, it's a cluster. 
you know what? So, so then from there, there's negative thought. There's negative thing. Now, here's the other piece of this. In our school system, we don't teach people how to build wealth, okay? Other than wealthy people will teach you how to build wealth if they're generous yeah. enough to give you the secrets and teach you that. Yeah. And then what do we teach people to do in our society? We're number one in capitalism, which is based on consumption and giving your money away, giving your money away. That's why things like the in-app purchases when you're on social media, they work because people are conditioned psychologically to give all their money away because they need it or it's the coolest thing. Or how many, how many of our brothers and sisters? I mean, I did it, right? I had the boat when I was the firefighter. I had the truck when I was a firefighter. I had all the, the typical yeah. things that all, of, you know, most of our people have, you know, the boat, the dog, the house, the this, that, the, the, the blah, 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 right? So financing your life. Yeah. yeah, financing your life. And then you're living for overtime. And then really you have, you actually have a really good salary, but it's not a good salary because you're overextending yourself and you're not investing you're not putting money away. Yeah. And then if something happens, uh-oh, big problem. So, and then next thing, you don't have an education, student loan debt, you know, let me tell you, I've learned a lot of lessons. So if you want to learn lessons and give me a call anytime, anybody listening, like, seriously, I'll, I'll tell you what not to do. All right. Because learning the hard way is not, it's not fun. And if you can listen to podcasts like this and you can listen to people. So from there, one is fear of our pensions, right? We have these, these, carrots hanging over our head of here's the pension and this and that when you lose that then it goes well can i make money uh, another way right like and then how do i have stability how, how am i going to ever retire i don't want to be the 65 year old guy working at home depot because i have nothing and i'm, I'm working to the end of my life there's a great book uh, it's called dying for a paycheck and we have a great career right and then there's that fear of i don't want to die for just this paycheck because our careers are also who we are in a lot of ways too, of being a public servant. And I think, you know, you've done an exceptional job in this of continuing the service forward through marketing, right? Through brand building and still being of service and it and something you're passionate about, which is great. So I think it's it's challenging when when there are these multiple inputs, I would say, that make it challenging. One from just the way that our society is structured, the way that our, you know, we're not teaching people how, real estate principles of how to build wealth through real estate in high school. We're not teaching kids how to balance checkbooks and then they get given good careers with a pension and then something happens. And then how do you manage your finances? Right? So I think a lot of that, I hope eventually departments and unions and things do a better job at teaching people how to get set up more for success because the reality is not everybody really makes it to the end or if they leave in 10 years, how can they be set up for success with the 10 years that they've served? And I think that's where the veteran community does really well. There are a lot more programs for veterans for career transition. You know, there, there are a ton of opportunities if you're a veteran for mentorship, yeah. you know, and if you say the word veteran and you say, I'm interested in real estate. Oh, well, hey, this guy's a veteran and he owns billions of dollars of property. Uh, this guy's a veteran is in Wall Street in a hedge fund. Go talk to him. But if you say, oh, I'm a first responder uh, and I want to go do this, there's kind of this, there's this huge gap right now. Now, that's one there area is, yeah. where I've been advocating. There's the Higher Heroes program with the Chamber of Commerce. And I really hope these people listen and they, they have great branding, right? You and I are brand people and they have mm -hmm. great branding. Add the first responders in there. They're a hero. Yeah. And they need yeah. a pathway for success because the, the other part too is like you mentioned, people want out, but they don't know how to go out successfully. 
And then how do, yeah. how do I, if I don't want to be in planning. security, right. And I want to do marketing yeah. like you're doing, well, how do I do that? Right. You and I are kind of the randoms, I would say out of our, our colleagues, yeah. right. Where everybody's in a, in emergency management or in risk management investigations or in different, or, you know, colleague of mine from the fire departments in energy stuff. He was very successful with energy early mm-hmm. on. So, but on the marketing branding business side, it's different than a lot of people transitioning, but those programs like Hire Heroes, they have pathways, they have internships, you know, into companies like Salesforce, into PwC, into Deloitte, all these different things, as opposed to mine was the school of hard knocks, man, of just, just getting out there and applying and applying Same and here. You know, learning, right? Yeah. So there's an easier way to do yeah. it, though, if we get these programs understanding first responders need a home. Yeah, I agree. So just for the record, real quick, and then I want to piggyback off of that, for this match, because I, I feel like I kind of got you to agree with me. I'm going to say I won by TKO. Okay. Just for the record. Okay. For those that are keeping score. Okay. <laughs> but to pick up kind of where you left off there, you're talking about, and my, my story was very, or is very similar. It was, uh, you know, I learned through the school of hard knocks too, trial and error, not being afraid to take risks and not being afraid of failure because failure actually makes us better. Okay. And so what I want to ask you real quick, and, and I'm going to give you just a few minutes here because um, we're, we're getting toward close to the, to the end of the show here, but I want to ask you, tell me a little bit about your transition out of being a firefighter into entrepreneurship. And then I want you to tell me what are the top three lessons that you learned? My transition came really unexpectedly. You know, I was at the peak of my game, really. For me, I always knew I wanted to be a firefighter. I mean, you know, those most likely to be uh, surveys in high school, right? You know, most likely to be doctor, right? Most likely to be firefighter. That was me. <laughs> so everybody right. knew. And that was, you know, what I chose. So at 17, I went on to the EMT school at the community college and then became one of the youngest paramedics in California at the time and moved down to San Diego, worked down there, came back up to the Bay Area as a firefighter. And then unfortunately, you know, my hip was crushed using the jaws of life on a training drill. Uh, from there, had an extensive rehab, was in a wheelchair, you know, walker, bedridden, all that stuff. Uh, came back to work wow. despite the odds, was hired by another uh, fire department and they knew everything about the injury. And then uh, from there, you know, three, three or four years later, you know, just the body too much, you know, from the original injury and the cumulative trauma, as they call it. So that was that transition. And it was also a time where it was just a very negative environment uh, with the agency that I worked for, harassment, bullying, just just a horrible environment I wouldn't wish on anybody. And uh, during that time too, you know, there's this thing called post-traumatic stress, right? So that was something that was never talked about uh, in our line of work at the time. This was 2010, 2011, mind you, uh, nor was it ever talked about in 2006 when I was injured. Uh, with the hip that, Hey, you're a young, healthy guy, this PTS thing might kick in later. Right. You know? So nobody talked about mental health during that time. So my, mine was kind of like a double whammy. It was like dealing with the physical injury, physical pain, dealing with uh, undiagnosed mental health challenge at that time. And then from there, you know, identity issue of like, who am I not as a firefighter? Yeah. Right. You know I mean? Oh man, that I went through that too. And that was that was tough. I say you go from hero to zero, you know, I mean, you're, you're respected, you're introduced to everybody at, you know, events and gatherings as the yep. firefighter and 
everybody respects you. And the next thing you're going, you know, in a grocery store and you're looking around, you're like, I don't even respect myself. Like nobody respect, like it was, it was just huge. It was, it, it was huge. And then the way that the department handled things and I called, I kept checking in on my leave and it was fought between the two cities I worked for. So, you know, just extensive litigation that was just, like I say, I don't wish that on my worst enemy because it's demoralizing. And then you're, you're trying to move your life forward. At the same time, the system's stuck in what happened years back, right? So you listen to all these motivational speakers, which I, I do now, you know, but I'm also real about it is if you're still hung into the past somehow, right? With litigation or some sort of something or other, a toxic relationship, whatever, if you're still attached to the past, you can't move forward for your future. So that was the hardest part too, was you know, going back to school and going back to get my bachelor's degree and my MBA back to back. And then from there, I was really fortunate that I had a great mentor in the construction industry, a CEO who hired me on, who saw you know my leadership skills that were transferable, as well as my business sense and acumen and, and what we did with our family business growing that. So from there, I got put on a industry, um, you know, leading trade association. I, I was on a think tank for a bit working with top executives in the Bay Area and just developed wonderful relationships. And I got to experience so many different industries through this think tank, right? Working with people from construction to healthcare to this and that. It was just a really cool way to open up my mind and go, wow, there are actually so many cool careers and jobs out there. What do I want to yeah. do now? Right? Like, and I think the hard part was what you touched on. I was in that very dark place too, where I didn't think that people were really happy around me. And I was like, are they full of shit? Like, are these people really happy? Like, you know, like, no way. Yeah. And one of my partners in one of my other uh, corporate jobs, he's just always upbeat and happy. And I finally asked him one day, I was like, man, like, how do I become happy like you? So I did the deep inner work, right? I did the deep inner work. I went to a program for veterans, first responders called Save a Warrior. And I, I strongly encourage people to go through the healing journey, right? If, if you have stuff that you're still hanging on to, go through. There's great programs, Mighty Oaks uh, Warrior Program, West Coast Post-Trauma Retreat. You know, there are these you know different programs that are out there nowadays that are really valuable. So go through something. And then from there, I started growing my platform with thought leadership, with speaking, wrote my first book, published that, that got top 100 on Amazon, new releases. So it's just, it's been a journey, you know, and it's, it's been fun now, like in a, in a spot where the pain is gone, where I can reflect on the journey and I can pay it forward and help other people through those challenging moments, right? And those just pivotal moments in life of, you know, do you go in the negative? Or do you embrace the unknown, as you mentioned? And how do you get through the unknown to create the new known, right? You know, the the new place that, um, and I think through this pandemic, you know, we hear that rhetoric, the new normal. There's never a normal shit. You know, life changes all the time. But it's how do you deal with the change? How do you, what's your mindset? And, and then from there, do you have a good team around you? Do you have good mentors around you? Do you have people that are where you want to be helping you get to where you want to be? And I've been so fortunate, again, for just incredible people. Scott, who introduced you and me, right? I mean, you know, it's just just great people that, you know, and Dave, who introduced me, Scott. I mean, it's just, it's networking. And, and yeah. I always say, like, tell people what you want because the law of attraction in life in the universe, put it out there exactly what you want. Clear it up, clear out all the noise, clear out all the crap, and then 
know what it is that you want. And you may not know everything, but it, you might know, I want a peaceful life. Well, then you're going to find people in your life who have a peaceful life. You say, oh, I didn't see a good marriage when I was a kid. And I want to have a good marriage in life. Well, find people who are married for 30, 40 years who have a lot of love in their homes. And then I want to be a successful entrepreneur. What does that mean? Well, is, is that money to you? Or is it a well-rounded life where you're home with your kids? You know, you, you have passive income coming in. What does that look like, right? And then go find those people because they're out there and they're more than willing to, you know, give you time. Because here's what I found when I work with top executives selling in business development roles. Everybody started somewhere. Everybody started exactly where you are today of having an idea, trying to be an entrepreneur, trying things that don't work, and then finding people to teach them what works. Yeah. Yeah. So, so fire off for me then real quick. One, two, three. What are the top three things that you learned out of your transition that you can pass along? Number one, number two, number three. Yeah. Number one, ask for help. I, I knew that I needed help. I knew that the injury in 2006 was severe and I didn't get the help that I needed during that time. You know, no, no counseling, nothing was ever talked about. Like I said, during that time, not even a word dropped in the hospital when I'm in a wheelchair. So ask for help. And, you know, it doesn't have to be as something as dramatic as mine. If you know you're whatever, ask for help. Just go ask for help. There's great people out there. And seriously, you know, if you're listening, Adam, you know a ton of people. I know a ton of people. Like, just if you're not getting anywhere with the therapist, whoever, just send us a line. We know a lot of people. And, yep. and then two, you know, go after your big idea. You know, if anything that this whole thing taught me and seeing what we see as first responders, which is a lot of death and destruction and change. And when you're, I always tell people your life changes in a second. Okay. So when my hip was crushed, it changed in that second. When you get diagnosed with cancer, it changes that second. The doctor tells you, sir, you have cancer, ma'am, you have cancer. Your life changes in that second. So there's a, an old quote that says, take care of the seconds because the seconds take care of the minutes, the minute take care of the hour and the hour will take care of the day. The day will take care of the week and the month and so on. So we get so far out in our society and take care of the second, take care of that second with your family member. When you're at dinner, turn the damn cell phone off and enjoy the time with your spouse. Enjoy the time with your kids. You're never going to get that time back. And when it's gone, yeah. it's gone. So none of us have figured out where we go after this. There's a lot of theories out there in different police systems, but no, nobody, nobody's concretely proven that one yet. So Enjoy this second, enjoy this life, this physical being you're in, this this moment in time. That's a debate for another That's day. That's a debate for another day. That's a whole another one. But I've read every text out there on every faith. So that's the one I'd love to debate because I don't have a position on it. It's a <laughs> it's a universal question. And then lastly, I think just find something that you want to go do and, and go after it. You know how many times, like if you if you counted failure, right? And if I based my life on different things that I've put forward and that I've had to scrap or I've had to pivot or I wasn't in the right place, whether it was personally, whether it was a financial uh, ability to invest in something, whatever, right? Things change, but keep going after it because eventually each time you go after it, you're going to learn and you're going to get more clarity. And what's also important of knowing what you like is knowing what you don't like. Because once you know what you don't like, you don't waste time on those things anymore. And you just stay laser focused on what you do like. And that was the biggest thing with transition is it was overwhelming, man. It was like a, the first part was being like, you know, dropped in the ocean with no life raft, trying to swim and trying to scramble 
and just trying to survive, just trying to pay the bills, trying to pay my medical bills. You know, that that was survival mode. And then now it's been like the kid in the candy store, right? Of like, wow, there's all these cool jobs and things and da, 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 da. But through that process, I learned exactly what I don't like, right? And then now I focus on what I like, which is, you know, coaching and serving other people and helping people grow their businesses. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Drew. Um, why don't you tell everybody, I mean, you, you've got a book out there and you were talking about another book um, that you're working on that'll be coming out soon. So can you tell everybody where they can find your book and where do they find you? So where can they connect with you on social media, web, email, whatever you want? Can you share share that contact info with everybody? Yeah, I have a, a personal brand, obviously, DrewAversa.com. That's where I do my coaching and speaking and training and workshops, all that stuff through there. And then my book, you can get the e-version on my website on the online shop. Or if you like Amazon and you're a Kindle reader or you want the paperback, uh, you can go on Amazon as well and get it there. Awesome. Well, I'll have obviously show notes for everything that we discussed today on the website, psi.chat. And of course, we'll throw in the links on there too for uh, how you can connect with Drew on social and, and on his website and where to find his book. Um, so everything will be there at psi.chat. Drew, thanks for being on the show, man. This is awesome. I still haven't decided yet, by the way, not to start another rabbit trail right before we sign off, but uh, obviously I've been calling cop entrepreneurs, copreneurs. And I was debating before we got on, I'm like, what is a firefighter entrepreneur? Is it a flamepreneur, a hosepreneur? I couldn't really, <laughs> I really couldn't come up with it. Do you have an idea? I don't, you're the storytelling strategist. I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you figure that one out. But you know, what, what we failed to, <laughs> what we failed to talk about was the, the, you know, what my favorite recipe is in the firehouse. And then obviously your favorite donut. Oh yeah. Well, um, that's Ba-boom. pretty easy, bud. Uh, All right. Uh, which one? A long John with, with Boston cream. Okay. All right. That's good. <laughs> uh, make a mean barbecue. One of those, uh, the, the beer can chickens. So. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I'd rather have that than a donut if I'm honest. So, uh, but maybe we'll get together and we'll, we'll do some cooking sometime. That sounds good, brother. <laughs> all right. Thanks for being on the show, man. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at psi.chat forward slash review. I would love to hear your feedback, and it will also help other public safety innovators like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to psi.chat, click on episodes, and search this episode number, and you'll find all the links, descriptions, and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe, and you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.